as a church, of course, we're not supposed to be a me-worshipping community. We're not supposed to be the focus of our worship, or our service, or even our lives. Instead, we have been called to worship and serve and live for someone else. Someone who is worthy of our wholehearted worship, our dedicated service, and our lives laid down as a willing sacrifice. So this morning, as we finish up this little series on church as it was meant to be, we're going to go kind of right back to basics and consider very simply how we are supposed to be a Christ-centered community. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 11. I'm going to break in at verse 19 down to, to verse 26. So Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. I think it's amazing that the words that we use today, so many of them we use without any real understanding of where they came from or what these words originally meant. For example, the word mortgage comes from a French expression meaning death pledge. For some reason. Or muscle comes from a Latin root meaning little mouse. Presumably because they thought you had little mice under your skin. And that's what muscles look like. Or denim. Originally was called, excuse my French accent, Serge did Nimes. Or fabric from Nimes. They dropped the, the Serge and it called denims. Or <laughs> denims. Jumbo. As in jumbo jet. That was originally a word for elephant in the West African language and took on the meaning of large when an elephant in London Zoo was named jumbo in 1860. Or the word addict comes from a Latin word for slaves given to Roman soldiers when they, to reward their service. And so eventually a person who was slave to anything became an addict. Or disaster came from the Greek, this, meaning bad, and aster, meaning star, because they thought that when bad things happened, it was blamed on the stars. But even more weirdly, the word tragedy comes from the Greek word trago, tragodia, 
which means the song of the male goat. I don't understand that one at all. It is clear that the meaning of words change over years. And how we use them, often we end up using them very differently from the way that they were originally meant. And this has clearly happened with the word Christian. To some, being a Christian is someone who was just baptised as a baby. Or someone who was born into a so-called Christian family. Or into a Christian country. Or someone who goes to church a lot. Or even just someone who is kind and lives a good life. A number of years ago I met someone, a woman in Enniscorthy, who said, I don't believe in God, but I'm a good Christian. But this morning we read about the original use of that word. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Antioch was the the third city of the Roman Empire, after Rome and Alexandria. At this time, its population was over half a million people. Huge city. And it was extremely cosmopolitan, with Greeks and Romans and Persians and Indians and Chinese and a large Jewish community. It was known as Antioch the Beautiful because of its many fine buildings. The main street going through Antioch was over four miles long, paved with marble, lined on both sides with marble colonnades. It was actually the only city in the ancient world at that time that had its streets lighted at night. And the Circus of Antioch, a massive stadium used for chariot races, could house up to 80,000 spectators. I think that's about the size of Croke Park that will be filled today. But it was also a grossly immoral and idolatrous city. Ritual prostitution was a common part of the worship in its many temples. But it was in this city that the early church really got serious about their mission into the Gentile world. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, the believers who were scattered by, uh, in, by the persecution in connection with Stephen, they were courageous and they were committed to, in continuing their mission. And so, they preached the word wherever they went. Wherever they went, they kept on telling people about Jesus. Initially, this was only to fellow Jews. But after Peter obeyed God's call to share the gospel with Cornelius, the door was open to sharing the gospel with those outside of the Jewish community. And so we read in verse 20, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. And as a result, many people believed. Barnabas, he was sent to encourage them. And he enlisted Saul's help. And so together, they worked in Antioch to establish this new church community in this international, immoral and idolatrous city. But the citizens of Antioch were also known for making fun of people. They were good at slagging people off. And so they coined a term, a nickname, for the people who belonged to this new church community. 
And that's what we read in verse 26. The disciples were, first, were called Christians first to Antioch. From their point of view, this nickname fitted these people. The ending of the word Christian, I-A-N, means belonging to the party of. Caesareans belong to the party of Caesar. Herodians belong to the party of Herod. So they called them Christians because from what they could see, they belonged to the party of Christ. It was probably, first of all, meant as a bit of a joke. But actually it was an incredibly accurate name. And over time it was gradually accepted by the believers. That's because what marked out these believers, the members of this community, from everyone else, was first of all, that they'd put their faith in Jesus. As we read in verse 21, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This little church community in Antioch, in that huge city, it couldn't be defined by where they'd come from, or what they looked like, or what they did or didn't do. They weren't like a social club of similar people with similar interests. They weren't all from the same race or culture or background. They didn't all have the same lifestyle or economic status. This church was a diverse community of people from all walks of life. But they'd been brought together because of their personal faith in Jesus as the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their lives. And of course, that's, what the, that's the core of what it means to be a Christian. It's not about nationality. It's not about family background, or culture, or way of life, or moral standards, or habits, or behaviour, or even about church attendance. None of those things make us a Christian. None of those things make us right with God. None of those things bring us into a relationship with God. In fact, in order to be a Christian, we need to turn away from trusting in all of those things. We need to admit that nothing that we are, nothing that we have, nothing that we do or ever could do, could ever make us right with God. Like Paul We need to be willing to say, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. We need to come to God empty-handed, acknowledging our sinfulness, our helplessness, and our hopelessness. And we need to accept what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. I'm sure most of us know this famous verse this morning. John chapter 3 verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Through his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection Jesus paid the price of our sin so that we could be forgiven. He experienced the full weight of the wrath of God. So we can experience the fullness of God's love. 
He took the punishment that we deserved so that we could be declared righteous in God's sight. He was forsaken so that we could be adopted into God's family. He died so that we could have eternal life. But we will only receive this gift if we personally and individually Believe in Him. If we transfer our trust from ourselves, from our good works, from our religion, from our anything else, and put our faith, our hope, our trust, our confidence in Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. It is someone whose faith is in Christ. And in Christ alone. I wonder if that's true of all of our lives. Is our faith in Christ alone? Or are we trusting in our goodness, our background, our church attendance, our good works, or anything else? Have we decided to put our faith in Him? But these believers didn't only put their faith in Christ. They also lived Christ. When Barnabas arrived, he saw the evidence of God's grace in their lives and he encouraged them, encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Jesus wasn't only their saviour. He wasn't only the one who'd forgiven their sins and saved their lives sometime in the past. He was also their Lord. The one that they'd accepted as the leader of their lives. As the one that they lived for, listened to, learned from, and longed to please. With everything that they were, everything that they had, and everything they did. And that's what Jesus has called each of us to do. Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. He calls us to set aside our desires, our goals, ambitions. And instead commit ourselves to following him wholeheartedly. Giving him everything. This is what Paul expressed in Philippians chapter 1, 21. When he wrote, for to me... To live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was eagerly looking forward to that day when he would go to be with Jesus in heaven. He knew that that day would be better than anything he could ever imagine. But for now, Paul was committed to living for Christ, honouring him, glorifying him in any way that he could. And so being a Christian isn't only about what we've done in the past when we prayed to accept Jesus as our Saviour. It also needs to be a present reality that we're following Jesus today as our Lord. So as a church we're called to be Christ-centred not only in the basis of our salvation but also in the purpose and the goal and the direction of our lives. 
So are we even willing to remain true to the Lord with all of our hearts? Are we willing to follow Him with everything that we are and have? Not just Sunday morning and one night a week, but every single day and every moment of every day. Can we say like Paul, that we make it our goal to please Him with our lives? Is that our ultimate goal in our lives? Not please us, but please Him. But there must have been something more to these believers than this personal faith in Jesus and this personal commitment to Him. Because if they just privately trusted in Jesus and lived for Him, then the citizens of Antioch wouldn't have known what they were all about. For them to nickname the believers Christians, they must have constantly been listening to them talking about Christ. This was the message that the believers from Cyprus and Cyrene shared with them in Antioch. They came telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The message that they preached wasn't focused on the cult, their culture or heritage as Jews. It wasn't going back to the Mosaic law and the rules and the regulations and every, every aspect of their lives. The, the message wasn't all about the Ten Commandments. It wasn't even about the standards and lifestyle and practices of their new church community. Instead, their message was all about Jesus. This is what we've seen the church talk about throughout the book of Acts. Way back at Pentecost in Acts 2, the focus of Peter's message was this. Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When God healed that crippled beggar through Peter and John. Peter's message was by faith in the name of Jesus. This man who you see and know was made strong. Then later when standing before the Sanhedrin. Peter declared salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men. By which we must be saved. Then when Stephen was brought before the Sanhedrin, he declared, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then when the believers were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. And last week, we saw that when Peter went to Cornelius' house, his message was the good news of peace. Through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And then later on, Saul, when he would be called Paul, would declare that the centre of his message is that we preach Christ crucified. And these believers didn't only tell people about Christ, their goal was also to bring people to Christ. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. Their goal was not to introduce people to a certain preacher or pastor or priest or leader. Neither was it to bring somebody to a church. They knew that no church, no church leader could ever save anybody. Instead, the early church never lost sight of their central message. 
They weren't sidetracked into preaching about themselves or about how great their church was. Neither were they, did they tone it down in a kind of self-help program or even a simple call to turn over a new leaf and try harder to be a good person. That wasn't their message. Instead, their message was all about Jesus and his unique ability to forgive sins, change hearts, empower us to live full lives filled with his love and joy and peace and to have eternal life in heaven. And he declared that this was only possible because of the cross of Jesus. We desperately need that same clarity and conviction today. We're not here to point out all the wrong things that people do in their lives. Or condemn them for the mistakes or their wrong choices. Neither are we here to make them feel good about themselves. And encourage them to fulfill their hopes and their dreams. Nor are we here to show off our achievements, our good lives, or even promote our church community, or our way of worship. We are here as ambassadors for Christ, to point people to Him, to share His love, declare His grace, explain His cross, and invite people to accept His offer of salvation I wonder if that's what we speak about I wonder if our family or friends or neighbours or colleagues would nickname us Christians based on what we speak to them about are we always pointing people to Christ So this group of believers were nicknamed Christians because they impacted their city through their faith. People noticed them. People saw what they were all about and saw that they were all about Christ. But they didn't do this through their own strength. I wonder if you notice in verse 21 it says they did this because the Lord's hand was with them. This was Jesus' promise to them when he commissioned them to go and make disciples. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And it's his presence and the power of work in his life that will enable us to be fruitful in our lives. Jesus said this in John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Our effectiveness as a church depends on our Christ-centeredness. Our effectiveness depends on our Christ-centeredness. On our own, we can do absolutely nothing of eternal value and significance. On our own, we don't have the power to live out this life we're called to. On our own, we will never be this changed community or a committed community or compassionate or courageous or confident or caring or candid or collaborative or contagious or comprehensive. 
on our own, we will never be the church that God meant us to be. But when we remain Christ-centered and Christ-dependent, then his promise is that he will be with us and that he will work through us and that we will bear fruit. And that fruit will last. And that, will be, that fruit will be to the glory of God. So this is the church that we were meant to be. It's not all about us. But it is all about Christ. We are identified with Christ. We are trusting in Christ. We are living for Christ. Telling people about Christ. Pointing people to Christ. And doing all of this in the presence and power of Christ. That's the church that God wants us to be. And I pray that's the church that we will increasingly be.